0: Incoming transmission.
1: The Rockwell word of the day is... Alright, oh, you thinking this is a fucking costume? This is a way of life.
2: I'll be back. Just a flesh wound. I'm not gonna hurt you. I'm just gonna bash your brains.
3: Take your sticky paws off me Damn, thirty-eight. I'm sorry, Dan. I'm afraid I can't do that. It's alive! It's alive! It's alive! I guess everyone's entitled to a scare.
2: Well, hello, and welcome to the Computer Resume Podcast. The show covering the entire Star Trek franchise and this movie for some reason. In chronological order, for fans new and old, I'm one of your guests, Gary Horn.
0: I'm your other guest. I'm one of the fans that are old, Justin
1: Bishop. (laughs) And I'm your host, writer, comedian, Mr. Todd A. Davis. Folks, for those of you who do listen on a regular basis, first of all, thank you. And you might be wondering why we've switched up the format. And that's because this is our very special crossover episode with CinemaShock. Without further ado, you've heard their voices already. One is from the National Wrestling Alliance. The other is Cinema Shock's resident film historian. Both of them were in my wedding, and together they are two thirds of Cinema Shock. It's Gary Hart and Justin Bishop. Yeah,
2: Cinema Shock. I yeah. hey, got It's A low budget <laughs> setup, but he's got this sliding door. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I wish I
0: got. I wish I got that kind of reception everywhere I went. No, I don't. I would hate that. Actually, (laughs) am I allowed to say the? Am I allowed to say the f word on your podcast? uh,
1: No, but I'll take care of it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, uh, my my financial advisor. I hadn't hired my financial advisor just yet, so I spent all my budget on the sliding (laughs) door.
0: You really should do a uh, since you you kind of do a Muppet Show thing. You really should just invest in a big curtain.
1: Exactly. Like a big, big red curtain. I got I got a small one back here, but it
0: that's just purple. like an actual curtain yeah, in that's the window. A, just a, yeah, it's
1: just the
2: window. <laughs> <laughs> also get a Muppet. Yes. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. I mean, I've
1: got I've got little finger puppets of, of the entire original crew. No, you I need did. a Muppet.
2: You need a
0: Muppet no, of yourself. You kind of are a Muppet, I, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> wow.
1: That's very true. You
2: should, you know what you should do is <laughs> record video of this for uh YouTube, but mm-hmm everybody has to have one of those finger puppets. So it's like not actually us. We just finger just a finger, puppet. finger puppet.
1: If, okay. Uh, of the seven finger puppets I've got of the original crew, if you had to be embodied in video by one finger puppet, who would it be?
2: I mean, I'm going to say Kirk You're every time. Kirk?
1: Yeah. <laughs> I Kirk here. Justin, um, who you want, man?
2: <laughs> man,
0: honestly, strike I'm probably, as, a, I'm probably a red shirt.
1: A uh, Richard. shirt. Oh, a Well, well that, hello. That's, that's Scotty and technically a hurrah.
0: I'm going to be, I think Scott, I think me and Scotty would vibe. I think I want to say Scotty.
1: I see. I was going to say you might fall somewhere between Spock and Bones because you you, you had the, you were like, oh, I'm an old guy.
0: I'm yeah. logical and cranky. <laughs> it's fair it's that's that's actually you're not good. wrong you're, you're not wrong i'm not, I'm not fighting that description
1: <laughs> well uh guys thank you so much for uh carving out the time um uh, you know uh, that sounds like such a stereotypical host thing to say but like you guys are both incredibly busy we're all very busy because we're all doing multiple things for multiple shows and you know we're all married and have Animals in the house and just, uh, you know, craziness. But, uh, this wasn't anybody's first viewing of Moon, was it? Nope. Well, well were we supposed to watch Moon? <laughs> ah. that's all the time we have on the Computer Resume <laughs> podcast. We actually did,
2: uh, like, before Sit of a Shock was Sit of a Shock, we did an episode on Moon. Yeah, we oh, did. Really?
0: Um, that, that might have been on the like version. 1.0 where cinema shock is really versioned like 3.0 yeah, of, I was gonna of say, the podcast and, and even the previous even 2.0 went through a couple of like variations like there was like uh, the psychotronic film society went through like 2.1 2.2 mm-hmm. it went through about three, three different versions i think <laughs> but i think moon might have been on the like the original original show which a slice I, of fried gold, gold. Yeah, yeah which is thankfully all of that audio is lost to the internet ether because it is probably pretty terrible <laughs> if i if I, were, if I were to guess but we were learning you know it it, it 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 was all helpful because we you get better you know
2: yeah i, I but
0: uh, yeah we did a moon episode many years ago so i've seen this movie quite a lot of times
1: did either of you see this in the theater i did yeah oh, you did i did what well, was uh did it did it hold up you know theater to home viewing
0: yeah i think so i mean i think it is a very uh, visually very stunning movie that uh, especially considering the budget of yeah. this movie um yeah. it, but i think the the miniature work that they do on it uh holds up really really well and it does look really cool on the big screen you can see the budget a little bit in some of the cg but uh, it's not a movie that I think is like a must see on the big screen kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, like some of the movies that I think influenced it, which we could probably talk about later, I think are movies that like, if you get a chance to see them on the big screen, do it. Mm. Uh, this one, I think if you watch it on a decent TV at home, then you're getting, you know, because uh, even though it's set in space, there are a, not a lot of like actual space like scenes. Yeah. You know, there are scenes on the surface of the moon, which I, yes, is technically in space, but, they are they're not like flying through space there aren't any scenes like that it's a pretty intimate movie for for something that is you know a pretty high concept sci-fi
1: yeah i think uh well uh, before i get into my thoughts gary what were your initial thoughts do you do you recall the first viewing and what you were just kind of a blanket um of your thoughts of moon
2: yeah i remember the first time i watched it i didn't know what to expect i didn't know much about it I just picked it for some reason. Somebody suggested it, or maybe it was before the podcast. I don't even remember, but, Mm. uh, for whatever reason, when I watched it, I remember the cool part about moon, especially, or it comes, especially when you know nothing. I think that that's a lot of fun because there's a lot of places that it could go and you're paranoid about it. Especially if you see movies, it's influenced by you. You think at any point it could go this way or that way. And, uh, but it's got its own kind of thing going on. And and I mean, even if we talk about like a spoiler, like I saw uh, in an interview with Duncan Jones <clears throat> right before I came up here where he was telling somebody, it was in like Wired magazine, he mentions the clone thing. And, uh, yep. and they, he was like, oh, I hate to be a spoiler guy, but honestly, he's like, I don't really look at it that way the that happens at the end of the first act and yeah, still it's not lots, like it, yeah lots of stuff
0: it's it but it is a good twist so i do think that like if you don't know that which i guess maybe there should be a spoiler warning here for your listeners who have not uh, uh screw who it. Have not seen I it. already yet. messed
2: it up for you <laughs> but,
0: <laughs> but uh i do think that that twist even though it's not an end of movie twist it is a major twist if you don't know what's going on which I, the first time I saw this, I, I went in pretty blind and I didn't know much about it other than I had heard some good things on some websites that I was reading at the time. Yeah. Uh, which was probably like Birth Movies Death or, or Badass Digest, whichever version it was at the time, or Chud or one of those sites that no longer exists that I used to read. Uh, I think Chud still exists, but it's not the oh. same one. Oh, okay. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm sure they were hyping it up and I, that's why I went to see it. And, I did not know that twist, even though it's not an end of the movie twist. Uh, it's still pretty impactful if you don't know it, you know, ahead. Yeah. of Yeah.
1: Yeah. I think so. I, uh, I saw this. Um, I bought it on Blu-ray sight unseen. Uh, I didn't know much about it. I just knew that it was independent sci-fi starring Sam Rockwell. And he's such a, he's such a force to watch on screen, no matter what he's doing really um that i was like Dude. this is gonna be fun
0: i love sam rockwell and yeah. this movie this movie really uh, he's one of those guys that like he he's uh he is a character actor and i get why he is mostly in character actor roles mm-hmm. uh he's not like traditionally like hollywood handsome you know he, but, and, and he is quirky yeah, yeah. As well but he i always felt like he should have had a a bigger career than he did. And, I mean, he's been a very high profile stuff. He's been in, you know, Marvel, a Marvel movie. I still think they should bring him back. Yes, they should. Uh, <laughs> I really do. I think Justin Hammer is a great character. I think he does a great, great job at that. I but, was
2: going to mention that. I think he saves that movie for me. He's, but, yeah, he does. I
0: mean, he's one of the best things yeah. about that movie, which is yeah. uh, anyway, <laughs> which, is not, <laughs> gonna say, which is not hard
2: to be, but yeah. <laughs> well, you know, what's crazy in this one, he plays Sam, like all the versions of Sam. Did you know that? Oh yeah, yeah. thanks, Gary. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> Well, that's what that's what I'm saying. Like in this this movie, really lets him flex his muscles because he gets to be so many different things. He gets to yeah. be weird, uh, especially at the beginning when he's like talking to himself and cussing, and you know he's like got the woolly, uh, you know, caveman look <laughs> because he hasn't yeah. shaved in a while. Yeah, and but he gets to play like very tragic as well. Uh, I mean, very tragic, especially once you get into what the movie's really about. Yeah, and then that when he's like, kind of the version of him that's kind of deteriorating, like yeah. it's it's pretty sad. But it gives him like the ability to play such a wide range that you wouldn't normally get to play if you're only playing like one guy.
1: Yeah, <laughs> and, yeah no, you're you're absolutely right. I think for me that uh, you talk about you know uh, the different versions that he gets to play and the. The damaged version, and I'll say damaged, damaged inside and out. That moment where he asks to shake hands Mm -hmm. is so tragic and just, and, and you, you're like, Oh, please you I find myself like root. Oh, please shake his hand for the love of God. Shake his hand. Uh, it's
2: it's crazy. Like the, this time around, I, I was actually gonna say that one of the things that stood out to me was I, I don't know why this really, you know, uh, given everything going on, like you said, there are those little character moments, him watching the video with his wife and seeing his daughter yeah. for mm-hmm. the first time. For some reason, I got really drawn into it. Like I was yeah. working and trying to do stuff, and I got drawn into that and watching him, and then I started thinking about. Well, in the way that he's doing this role. Yeah. The way that he,
0: that, that he reacts in that scene where his, he immediately realizes that that's his daughter and starts saying, well, what, what happened to mommy? What, how did mommy die? Yeah. Like that's because it, last time he was, saw his daughter, I guess, you know, she was still young enough to like refer to her mom as mommy. And like, now she's like 16 years old or whatever it is. Yeah. And it's pretty heartbreaking. Yeah. It really is.
1: Very. And to see the new Sam, who's it's interesting to to look at them when they're kind of fresh and see like, oh, they're clones, but it's not like they're acting the same. Like this one's kind of a little more artsy, a little more eccentric. This one's kind of all about the job and very much, you know, he's almost very soldier like. And um,
0: I'd like to think this exists in the same universe as the film multiplicity uh, starring Michael Keaton. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we, we didn't, we didn't get the mentally handicapped one yet, but that's a few, that's a few like clones down the line. The I fact think, that yeah. you're saying
2: you'd like to think lets me know <laughs> yeah. that if I tune into mute, I'm not getting my wish that the Keaton clones <laughs> fight the Rockwell clones. And so that was, that was really what I was holding out for. Mm, if uh, only, no, Yeah. But no, I'm with you, Todd. I was actually thinking about it this time that he obviously he's sick and dying and one version of himself, but like the new ones, like the younger, but, but I noticed it more as uh the fact that they are younger and older. I thought that he was even kind of playing up that, that like, mm-hmm. one's like kind of a wiser, like he's more laid back, you know, yeah. about the situation and just trying to figure things out. The other guy's just like pissed off and, you know, just like, yeah. what the hell? And, well,
0: I mean, that's, that's really interesting. Cause one thing that hit me this time watching it was just the idea, like what if you found out like right? well, the, the the first thing that you always think about when at least the first time I saw this movie is like, what the hell would you do if you found a body and it had your own face? Yeah. Like what the f-
3: like, what, yeah. what are you gonna do? <laughs>
0: uh, but this time it was more like, Well, what if you found out that like what if you are the clone and you, you found out that all of your memories are are not real? Like yeah. you didn't really live those like that. Right. That is more tragic. Yeah. That's where the tragedy comes in on this. Cause that is it's
1: like, very Philip K Dickian, just kind oh, yeah. of like your, your life, your life is, is a figment. It, it's yeah. yeah. It didn't exact, It didn't well, exist. Yeah. You just woke up.
2: <laughs> well, I would think like Blade Runner would be a good example yeah. of something like yeah. this. Uh, yeah. you know, just if you're, you know, if you're real or not, uh, but Todd even, uh, we could talk just to connect it for, for some of your listeners. I mean, we did an episode of, or no, I was watching the episodes of enterprise, getting ready for the finale. And I caught the one where uh chip uh, spoiler alert uh, dies. And, yeah, but they, they say, or he's barely alive and they save him by cloning a body mm-hmm. to like grow and get a, whatever they needed from. Him. I can't remember now, but the point is, is like it, It it is one of the rare Enterprise episodes where I was kind of like, wow, this is a really weird subject for you guys to be tackling. This is deep because, you know, his cold eventually is just like, wait a minute, I'm still real. How do why do I have to die now just to save this guy? Like, it it Mm. becomes this like moral quandary, and it's just kind of interesting.
1: Yeah. And I think that's kind of what Star Trek does best. And I think that's what Moon focuses on, because you could easily get wrapped up in. The energy crisis and how exactly they are harvesting helium three and the idea of the cloning process and all of that stuff. And, you know, the the how much the earth is reliant on helium three and all of the science behind it. But I think where this really succeeds is in those character moments. I mean, it is a character drama. But it's really the idea of this character dealing with the moral dilemma of uh, and identity crisis of I just found out I'm a clone. My point is to die mining these rocks, striving for a planet I'm not meant to ever return to. And all of those things are very Star
2: Trek. Uh, So, well, a lot of people don't know, Todd, that the helium three is actually like they're transporting it directly to uh, the creation of warp cores. So, this is like right before that. <laughs> it and, is. Uh, yes. The whole Federation is built on the back of these miters that died on the moon. Um, so, just. Well, then you know, they're yeah. going to run out and
0: they're going to have to explore other worlds and look for uh, unobtainium, I think, to try to yeah. keep the Earth there going. You go.
1: Sam, Be- Sam Bell ends up going to the Romulans, and there's a Sam Bell with the Klingons, and there's one with the Andorians.
0: And one and with the Navi.
1: Yeah. And wait. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, as we've been discussing this movie uh, for a few minutes now, and uh, it sounds like we're all really into it. But when you look at a movie, you always have to ask yourself who's behind the curtain and who do we blame? So Moon was written by Nathan Parker, English screenwriter. He is the son of late film director Alan Parker. Uh, Who's been uh, directly involved in a few notable works like multiple Oscar winning midnight express from 1978 multiple Oscar winning fame in 1980 angel heart starring Mickey Rourke and Robert De Niro and Lisa Bonet from 1987 I think that was discussed on a podcast. Or something. Yeah,
0: that's another loss to the <laughs> internet ether episode. Although I, was, I still have the audio to that one.
3: Do that's you? The, okay.
0: Yeah, yeah that's, that was that, the uh that's that summer, movie's claim summer to fame. of
1: eighty-seven series.
0: That that's that movie's claim to fame, is that we did a podcast <laughs> on it, not, not on that it. one of the Cosby yeah. kids is <laughs> naked
2: in it. Yeah. Well, and <laughs> I mean, you know, I'm not gonna pretend I didn't see that, but the <laughs> the <laughs> But also and, I'm just I'm just pointing out that, you know, he, he didn't get to throw in multiple Oscar winning at the beginning of uh, that's true. Yeah. Angel part. Heart was a bit of a flop, but
0: great yeah. movie i will go to bat for that movie anyway. it's a lot of
1: fun uh he also was involved with the uh oscar-winning mississippi burning in 1988 oscar-winning evita in 1996 and oscar-winning angela's ashes in 1999 just to name a few uh, so you angel heart you is uh,
0: his failure you yeah. yeah. <laughs> <Well, laughs> you didn't uh mention birdie which is a movie that he a uh, that he directed just prior to angel heart and i only bring up birdie because i am i am a. Uh, reading a book right now called the age of cage it's about nicholas cage oh wow uh, but but it's really a it's a very good book that i, I would highly recommend uh, but it was re- it's called the age of cage 40 years of or it's it's like 40 years of hollywood through one career so it's 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 not an autobiography necessarily but it's kind of using nicholas cage's career because he did so many different things oh wow uh, you know from <laughs> being cool. like you know uh, the nice guy and stuff like it could happen to you and honeymoon mm-hmm. in vegas to the action movies he did to the weirdo stuff he did like you know vampires kiss and birdie is one of those movies that uh, they discuss. so they're they're kind of discussing the history of hollywood through the prism of nicholas cage's career oh, so there cool. is a chapter that is partially um that is partially dedicated to alan parker's story oh that's uh, awesome because, because he made birdie early on in uh in cage's career birdie came out in like 84 so it's one of his first uh starring roles
1: nice i'll put a link to that in the uh in the show notes so anybody listening if you're if you're curious about that book age of cage Uh, look in the show notes i'll put a link to uh, where you can get that uh but for young todd a davis growing up in a repressed religious household my favorite of the elder mr parker's work would come in 1982 in the form of the rock opera from the legendary psychedelic british band uh album of the same name pink floyd the wall yeah have you yeah have you heard of that one (laughs) yeah it's good
2: and uh and for we're we're talking about alan Parker. what's that pink floyd yeah yeah is that a person
1: (laughs) yes it's short for pinkerton floyd (laughs) look at that
2: um no i was gonna say it's it's kind of disappointing to to be on the show and hear that alan parker is actually the father of uh nathan parker if you've seen a picture of nathan parker just look him up on imdb and scroll through his photos he looks like if Thomas Jane and Tom York had a baby together. (laughs) Like if they were able to. Oh my God, he does.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And, and, uh, whereas Alan Parker looks like you're exactly what you think of when you think of a British film
2: director. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah that's just what he looks like oh my god this guy does look like that is weird <laughs> if you scroll through those pictures there's stuff for sure it looks yeah. like tom jade and tom york it's, it's, like,
0: british, it's, just it's british thomas
2: jane
1: <laughs> well moon was directed by duncan jones who's born in 1971 he is the son of british musical legend and pop icon david bowie in fact bowie's 1971 song kooks from the album hunky dory is written directly to duncan Will you stay
3: in a love a story? If you stay, you won't be sorry, cause we believe in you. Soon you'll grow, so take a chance with a couple of cooks, hung up on romancing. A
1: Jones' maternal grandfather was a United States Army veteran and mining engineer who ran a mill for the Cypress Mines Corporation uh, operating in in and around uh, the eastern part of the Mediterranean Sea. So I don't know if there was maybe a little bit of plot inspiration there or not.
2: Do we need to tell anybody who uh, David
0: Bowie is? I think Uh, most people probably know. Did you know that Duncan Jones's middle name is Zoe? yeah so he's zoe bowie
1: (laughs) zoe bowie duncan i
0: think it's duncan zoe haywood jones is his full name
1: yeah yeah and he went through a couple of different phases of you know being called different things and of course uh being recognized as different names in the press and things like that as the son of a pop icon probably would yeah. Uh, but yeah, uh, um, among a few others, the lion's share of the acting was done by Sam Rockwell. Uh, Sam was born in 1968, making him just two years older than Duncan Jones. And uh, he received his first on-screen credit in The Equalizer, season three, episode 13, The Child Broker. That's from 1988.
2: That's the one were with not- uh, Queen Latifah.
0: That's the one with uh, Denzel, I think. Yeah. No, no, no. <laughs> At first, when you said the Equalizer, I was like, "There's no way that was his first movie." <laughs> and, I, and then my brain went, "I don't remember him in that movie." <laughs> uh,
1: yeah, yeah. Uh, for those of you who don't know, the Equalizer is a very old show.
0: <laughs> yeah, there's also a new one though. Yeah, there's yeah there's the a new one.
1: Old I mean, show, newer Denzel, movies. Yeah, and then a new did, show. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the uh, guy of the old weird.
2: show was uh, Edward Woodward. I just looked this up, but I always, forever, I thought he was. Uh, freaking dude for, this is even worse i can't think of the guy's name and the only thing i can think of to tell you he's in right now is jaws four <laughs> jaws, <laughs> jaws is that the Cain. michael Caine michael michael <laughs> 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 oh nice he's
0: uh, done other stuff
3: uh, michael kane has
0: yes yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. okay they look so, similar so his career the show, worked out
1: it? for him then <laughs> yeah. yeah
0: no he michael kane is a uh, very adamant that jaws the revenge uh, bought him a very nice house i believe this was his <laughs> reasoning behind it
1: nice uh sam rockwell got his first film role the following year in clown house written and directed by victor salva oh, no. uh but most folks our age probably remember him from his role as head thug in 1990s, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles.
0: Do we? I had no idea he was a Ninja Turtle. Are oh, we really? Yeah. <laughs> I have seen. <laughs> what? Is so that I don't for think real? I don't think most people our age remember him as the. <laughs> I don't think anyone that has the role credit as head thug is highly memorable in most movies. Regular.
3: Moments.
2: That's Holy him. Crap. That's Sam yeah. Rockwell. That's Sam Rockwell. Gotta, oh man. my God! I know exactly what scene you're talking about. I don't
1: exactly. know what this
0: Clown House movie is, but yeah, Victor I was Salva gonna is um...
1: Clown House needs to be added to the list. uh The Roulette, the Cinema Shock Roulette. Oh, well, no, I'm, here's I'm, the I'm thing. Not, I think there I'm needs to
2: doing... be a whole series on Victor Salva.
0: No, we here's the thing. We're not, <laughs> not discussing Victor Salva on Cinema Shock. No, uh, no, no. But <laughs> yes, I think but, it's but, awesome
2: uh... that we're getting an episode here. We're gonna in what episode you get to talk about Kevin's. Spacey and Victor Solberg, so it's just like wow, they got, got a lot in common. Is there a reference to Jeffrey Dahmer at any point in this episode? <laughs> just young, no. young men's nightmares. <laughs> <This> is- <laughs>
1: well the end of the 90s would bring a few more big roles for rockwell most notably as wild bill in frank darabont's the green mile starring tom hanks and michael clark duncan and as yeah yeah he's he's really great in that as uh and then as guy fliegman in that other star trek movie galaxy quest Mm mm-hmm then in 2002, he would star in George Clooney's directorial debut, "Confessions of a Dangerous Mind," as legendary TV personality, supposed CIA operative Chuck Barris. That's you mean big,
0: you mean big fat liar, Chuck? Yeah, Barris? Yeah, yeah, big fat liar, Chuck <laughs> Barris.
1: <laughs> what you mean? <laughs> That's a great movie, though. Yeah, uh, I actually have uh, Justin Bishop to thank for for introducing me to that one. That was a, that was a, a- written by a- Charlie Kaufman. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, he would also land roles in uh, *Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy* in 2005, the assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford in 2007, and Chuck Palahniuk's *Choke* in 2008, written and directed by Clark Gregg, aka Marvel's Agent Phil Coulson. Mm-hmm. Pretty good movie, yeah. yeah very hard, good.
2: very hard book to adapt, and they did a pretty good job. At it. Yeah, I mean,
1: I, yeah, it,
0: yeah.
2: I was, I was pretty impressed with it too. It's uh, Clark Gregg. He's you know i know he's just so lovable as phil colson yeah the guy yeah. has has got he's got some skills as far as writing oh, yeah. uh, goes and stuff so anyway just a yeah wealthy, talented guy like yeah
1: him. he's great i'd love to see him do some more stuff so uh now the story goes uh Lisa, he wrote wait. what
2: lies beneath uh, this is the only reason i just think about that is because we just watched what lies beneath sorry to cut you off but how's it like,
0: hold up does it hold up pretty well i think it's still fine because i i always really liked that movie yeah, uh, I think
2: it's fine. I don't think it's like the greatest movie ever or anything. Harrison but it's still Ford, a three Michelle star Pfeiffer. Easy.
1: Yeah, yeah. Robert yeah, Zemeckis yeah, directed it. I like
2: that one. Yeah. It's got some good stuff. This is an interesting story. It just I mean, it's it's a story that's been redone a thousand times now, but you know.
1: So uh the story goes, at least the way it's told by Duncan on the Blu-ray special features, uh, that Jones had been trying to get Rockwell to star in an indie project uh of his for some time. After showing him a new script, Rockwell liked Jones's writing, but passed, saying, "Let me know if you do anything in science fiction." Jones went home that day and started writing Moon. Uh, so, on that note, let's get to this week's recap. Brought to you in part by our Patreon supporters: Rev J, Jerry Antimano, Cosmic Crit, Kitty B, and David Willett.
3: <laughs> Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. <laughs>
2: Bell reporting to Central. Everything running smoothly. Over and out. Rock and roll. God bless America.
1: Good morning, Sam. Do you want me to cut your hair there? Lunar Industries remains the number one provider of clean energy worldwide due to the hard work of people like you. Three years is a long haul, you know? I
3: know you're really lonely up there, but I'm proud of you.
1: Two weeks to go, Sam. Two weeks to go, buddy. I'm going home. Looks like we got
3: a live one. I'm gonna go out. Okay, Sam.
1: things
3: What's going on? Where did he come from? Why does he look like me? You've
2: been up here too long, man. You've lost your marbles. Two
3: weeks, two weeks, two weeks.
2: I don't understand what's happening. Kiss
3: my mind. I want to go home. I know.
1: future. Lunar Industries has made a fortune after an oil crisis by building Saring Station, a facility on the far side of the moon to mine the alternative fuel helium-3. The facility is highly automated, requiring only a single human to maintain operations, oversee the harvesters, and launch canisters bound for Earth containing the extracted H3. Samuel Bell nears the end of his 3-year work contract at Saring Station. Chronic communication problems have disabled his live feed from Earth and limit him to occasional recorded messages from his wife Tess, who was pregnant with their daughter Eve when he left. His only companion is an artificial intelligence named Gertie, who assists with the base's automation and provides comfort for him. Two weeks before his return to Earth, Sam begins to suffer from hallucinations of a teenage girl and a bearded, disheveled man. One such image distracts him while he's out recovering an H3 canister from a harvester, causing him to crash his lunar rover into the harvester. Rapidly losing cabin air from the crash, Sam falls unconscious. Sam awakens in the base infirmary with no memory of the accident. Whoa, that was close. (laughs) He overhears Gertie having what appears to be a live chat with Lunar Industries Management. Through another recorded message, they order Sam to remain in the base and inform him that a rescue team will arrive to repair the harvester. Suspicious, Sam manufactures a fake problem to persuade Gertie to let him outside. He travels to the crashed rover, where he finds his unconscious doppelganger. He brings the double back to the base and tends to his injuries. The two Sams start to wonder if one is a clone of the other. After a heated argument and physical altercation, Gertie reveals that they are both clones of the original Sam Bell. Gertie activated the newest clone after the rover crash and convinced him that he was at the beginning of his three-year contract. Gertie confirms his memories of his wife and daughter are implanted. The two Sams search the area, finding a communications substation beyond the facility's perimeter, which has been interfering with the live feed from Earth. Gertie helps the older Sam access the recorded logs of past Sam clones, showing them all falling ill as their contract expires. Later, the older Sam discovers a secret vault containing hundreds of hibernating clones. They determined that Lunar Industries is unethically using clones of the original Sam Bell to avoid the cost of training and transporting new astronauts, as well as deliberately jamming the live feed in order to prevent the clones from contacting Earth. Clones who believe they are entering the final hibernation at the end of their contract, just before their final return to Earth, are in fact incinerated. The older Sam drives past the interference radius in a second rover and tries to call Tess on Earth. He instead makes contact with Eve, now 15 years old, who says Tess died some years ago. He hangs up when Eve tells her father, original Sam off screen, that someone is calling regarding Tess. After he returns, the older Sam begins displaying the same symptoms as previous clones as they begin to deteriorate. Great! The two Sams realize that the incoming rescue team will kill them both if they are found together. Sucks! The newer Sam convinces Gertie to wake another clone, planning to leave the awakened clone in the crashed rover and send the older Sam to Earth in one of the H3 transports. But the older Sam, having learned that the clones are designed to break down at the end of the three-year contract, knows that he will not live much longer. With his health rapidly declining, the older Sam suggests that he be placed back into the crashed rover to die so that Lunar Industries will not suspect anything. Sneaky sneaky, sir. While the newer Sam escapes instead. Following Gertie's advice, the newer Sam reboots Gertie to wipe its records of the events. Sneaky sneaky, sir. Before leaving, the newer clone reprograms a harvester to crash and wreck the jamming antenna, thereby enabling live communications with Earth. He also brings along a canister of H3 to provide himself with funds once he reaches Earth. Sneaky sneaky, sir. The older Sam, back in the crippled rover, remains conscious long enough to watch the launch of the transport carrying the newer Sam to Earth. The rescue team is successfully fooled after finding both a newly awakened clone in the medical bay and the corpse of the older Sam inside the crashed rover. Whoa, that was close. (laughs) The helium transport arrives at Earth, and over the film's credits, News reports describe how Sam's testimony on Lunar Industries activities has stirred up an enormous controversy and the company's unethical practices have caused their stock to plummet. Oh, that's interesting. Hey, folks, just wanted to take a second to let you know we here at Computer Resume Podcast are currently raising money for a family in need. This is a family Cat and I know personally, and they really need as much help as we can all give. We'll be having a benefit comedy show if you're in the Greenville, South Carolina area at Coffee Underground, December 7th. But in the meantime, please click the link in our bio on Instagram or Twitter and hit that top link for more details. Thanks, everyone. Now, back to the show.
0: So we're recapping this after we've already spoiled it. (laughs) Yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. uh, this, this, this right? is this is part of the fun of having you guys on here uh, and kind of introducing uh, more of my listeners to Cinema Shock is because our discussions are full of facts and fun. Like, we have a really great conversation.
2: I and- feel like Justin and I are really leaning in on the fun since we don't have to worry about actual notes. Yeah, yeah, I know. We like just all. <laughs> <tamed laughs> all the work this time. Meanwhile,
1: I'm over here just like, okay, what is, <laughs> okay, here comes the next thing. Right, here I'm going to
2: talk about Tom, Tom Jade and Tom York at each other. <laughs> <laughs> I censored myself. Good job, Gary.
1: Thanks, Gary. I appreciate that. So, uh, some key players from the rest of the crew are cinematographer Gary Shaw, uh, who also appears as one of the rescue team members. Uh, he would also come back for Jones's follow-up, Mute. And then we've got film editor Nicholas Gaster, uh, who also edited Neil Gaiman's Mirror Mask, directed by Dave McKean. And uh,
0: have you ever seen Mirror Mask? I have. And it's no. wild. I enjoy it. It's, it's wild. It's pretty cool. Like, it, uh, yeah, be, not be many be people have seen careful,
1: it. Be careful what you um, indulge in uh, uh, pharmaceutical wise or yeah. inebriate wise before you sit down to watch it because it's, it it's a trip man
2: <laughs> this is the one with leonardo dicaprio <laughs> where he plays two guys the, like the man the man in
0: the mirror mask
2: yeah <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh boy that's all right somebody on the internet get on that <laughs> and then we've got some music from clint Mansell. uh his he's um, great uh composer one of my
0: favorite like modern day composers i love clint menzel Um, i I really got into him because of his work with darren aronofsky but his work here is is very very good Mm
1: -hmm. yeah very uh eerie but light where it needs to be but as it works really well depending on what kind of visuals and what where the story goes it's that steady tone I, i i think of specifically the opening theme where sam's running on the treadmill Um, But it's just a a very steady tone, but it kind of eases you into this world. And then as things pick up that that similar structure tends to blend with and enhance whatever you're watching, which I think is what a good composer does. Mm -hmm. Uh, But, yeah, as you mentioned, he worked a lot with Aaron Aronofsky, including Pi Requiem for a Dream, um, The Fountain, The Wrestler, Noah. uh, But he also worked on uh, Sahara and smoking and aces and black swan and ghost in the shell he's he's got a really great uh resume uh everybody should uh check him out
2: i think i was reading somewhere that that duncan jones like feels like he got pretty lucky with this movie. it was like during the rider strike or something mm. so like a mm. lot of stuff was shut down or something so he got some people like some really good people for that he might not studies. have been able to
0: get otherwise yeah. also yeah. i have to say uh this is mute, you you said Gary Shaw came back for his follow-up mute. Mute's not his direct follow-up.
1: It's not the direct moon. follow-up, it's no, the he, follow-up he, to Moon. Yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah. But it, Jones did a couple other movies in between mm-hmm. uh he did source code and then that war was it Warhammer movie? Or um war, war, uh, um Warcraft.
1: Warcraft. Warcraft Warcraft,
0: Warcraft, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Which source code's
1: pretty outstanding yeah source code's a lot of fun i mean
2: i guess it's like time travel bs (laughs) but that's right uh... gary doesn't
1: like time travel
2: Well, that's what makes it even weirder, Justin. <laughs> <laughs>
0: are, are we going to talk about any of the other cast members in this? Because I know it's the Sam Rockwell show. There's a couple of other big names in here. Uh, Benedict Wong. Uh, is it? Yeah, it is? Benedict Wong yeah, and Benedict Matthew Barry who plays Wong
2: cleverly. Yeah, uh, yeah. And, there's there's
0: a there's a few.
1: I was sticking. Matt Matt more Barry's with great the... though.
0: I did not know Matt Barry. I don't think I knew who he was when I saw this back in 2009. Mm. So, and I've been watching. I mean, I've I've seen him in a ton of stuff now, but I've been watching a, a lot of you know, what we do in the shadows, like mm. everyone else. Yeah. And so when I saw him pop up in this, I was like, ah, I had no idea. One hundred
2: percent, like even if you could barely see him because of the weird oh, that footage, voice, the... that voice, like <laughs> as soon as it comes in, yeah, you're ready for him. Just
1: like I, I, I recognize him from, I recognize him from his one episode of Community where he plays the uh, the the grifter, yeah, who, who teaches I mean, grifting at Greendale.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I, I mean, I love Matt Berry. I, uh, I've been a big fan of his for a long, a
2: long, long time. Well, yeah. and, and Rockwell's wife, uh, what's her name? T- Tess. Tess. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's, uh, that's Queen Mae from The Boys.
0: Oh, is
1: it? Yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: Oh, wow. With cut hair. Oh, how well,
1: about that? Yeah. Uh, in an interview with Wired.com, Jones said uh, that his intent was to make a film, quote, for a science fiction literate audience that quote would be appreciated by people like myself or himself uh i think he i think he really succeeded with that uh you know we've talked a lot about it already but the idea of the science kind of just being in the background and the the character characters um really taking center stage although they're all played by one guy But, um, you know, really focusing on on that particular uh, aspect of it, uh, what did you you know, we already touched on it a little bit. But how does this stuff sit with you as genre film fans and guys who make a show about genre film on a regular basis? Uh, You know, where does this sit in terms of science fiction in the, you know, in the first uh, decade of the new millennium? Like, where does this sit for you? I mean, for I, me,
0: this is this is like I don't want to call it one of the best science fiction films of all time, but I would say of the last twenty years, uh, this is this is I think one of the best because I, I I do like that it is it's smart science fiction without being what I'd call hard science fiction because a lot right. of hard science fiction is too there's too much techno babble and there's too much like that, that just, just kind of makes your head hurt. Yeah, uh, I think this is this seems to be founded enough in real science to be plausible Yeah, without like you needing to have a PhD to understand what's going on. You know yeah. what I mean? Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think Star Trek has been accused of that, of just having so much technobabble that it's kind of hard to follow. Yeah, but they make up their own
0: terminologies. So. <laughs> right, right. But yeah,
1: with, with this taking place on the moon, it's a little bit easier to to latch onto that. And, you know, the idea of an energy crisis, you know, that's been relevant since the 1970s. Uh, you know, uh, all of that stuff really rings true for a lot of people. <clears throat> and i think it's easy for people to uh to identify with
2: yeah i don't think it's uh what i'm looking for hyperbole or something to say it's one of the best of all time oh yeah i think it's it's uh i think if if you had to put together a list of some of the greatest science fiction movies of all the time like moon's gonna be on that list every time
1: i,
0: I would i would yeah. say it, it deserves that spot
1: yeah yeah i think you know especially especially considering it's first effort for the writer first effort for the director uh incredibly low budget like they they had a lot of stuff um you know that on paper doesn't always spell success but they you know as we go uh A little bit further here, we're going to see that it actually, uh, they rolled the dice and came out on top. Uh, It's a
2: little, it's really engaging. That's what I love about it. Even, even once you know what's going to happen, basically, it still like really draws you in and makes you. I don't know, you can credit Sam Rockwell or Duncan Jones or whoever. Well, there
0: is a lot of still, like, you know, because the twist is so early in it, uh, from then on, it's figuring out like almost like a why, like what you know, it's still kind of a mystery, Mm -hmm. uh, even. Once that twist is revealed uh, there, there's this there's, and there's a almost like a thriller element to it because of that.
2: And the whole time you're waiting for uh, the Kevin Spacey robot to murder him
0: <laughs> <laughs> or just uh, touch him inappropriately. Yeah.
2: yeah. <laughs> As he's apt to do. Uh,
0: speaking of though, the, uh, the special effects though, I feel like re- we, even though it is, you, you mentioned the low budget on this, I think they really stretch that budget. And those The use of miniatures on this, I mean, this is 2009, nobody's using miniatures at yeah. this point not I mean, like not, not, not like
1: they do here
0: not to this extent yeah. uh, and it i think it makes it look really good i think that's the only way they could have achieved that on a five million dollar budget because if they had have tried to cgi it it would have looked it would look very dated now yeah. uh the the little bits of cgi that you do see like the uh the harvester when it's kicking up the dirt and stuff that's all cgi
2: mm-hmm.
0: and you can very easily tell because it is dated low budget cgi when yeah. it
2: hits the tower it's a little funky yeah
0: yeah. But, but like the vehicles themselves still look really amazing, I think.
1: Yeah. And I think, you know, from what I read, uh, you know, the uh, few different sources that I read, it was basically like, look, Duncan Jones, actually, it was to his uh, benefit that he came from the world of commercial film directing because he knew how to stretch a budget and, mm-hmm. you know, make something very small, look very big and expensive. And, it really shows in every frame of this movie. I mean, even the sets were reclaimed from um, the red dwarf movie that never got off the ground. They were actually, yeah, they were actually able to uh, cobble those together for uh, an actual set. Like the, the, the base that uh, Sam bell is in the entire time. They built that to scale in, in a warehouse. And that's where they shot. Like they had the cameras inside the base and they it wasn't like a modular thing where they could take it apart and move the camera wherever they wanted if there was a wall there you had to figure out a way around it now they <laughs> did cut some holes where it just wasn't feasible otherwise but for the most part like they're in there with the camera yeah. with sam walking around and, and and i think that's great it lends to the authenticity it lends to the very uh tangible universe that yeah. sam is inhabiting Moon premiered at the 2009 Sundance Film Festival and would be released in the U.S. and the U.K. later that summer. Uh, Won 18 different awards, three going to Parker, nine going to Jones, and two going to Rockwell, and got 17 other nominations. uh, With a budget of just over five million, as of today, according to BoxOfficeMojo.com, Moon. Uh, has a worldwide gross of just over nine point seven million, so they about double, doubled their money, which is pretty great.
0: Yeah, nine point seven million isn't you know you, you're you're not breaking any records by any means. Uh, oh. Most most movies have to hit about uh, four times that opening weekend, or they're considered a yeah a failure. But especially um, very, nowadays, <laughs> especially now, but very small uh, budget, like you said, and I feel like a lot of people. Most people who have seen this movie discovered it on DVD or Blu-ray or some, some form of home video streaming. I mean, it's on HBO Max. That's where I watched it today, even though I, I have it on, I I think I only have it on DVD and I think that's probably why I watched it on HBO because it was higher quality than my DVD. Uh, But most people have discovered it on DVD or Blu-ray and that doesn't factor into that 9.7 million. So it's definitely been a, a very successful independent film.
1: Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, A follow-up film containing an epilogue to the film's events, Mute, was released in 2018 and is available now on Netflix. Uh, And a third installment, a graphic novel called Maddie, Once Upon a Time in the Future, was released in 2020 from Z2 Comics. I have a link to that in the show notes if anyone is curious to to pick up a copy. Mine just arrived a few days ago. I'm uh, looking forward to diving into that. Have either of you watched Mute i haven't not yet (laughs) i haven't either
0: and i remember like the the lead up to it being very excited about it because Mm. it was a it was like it's like set in the world of mute but it's not a it's not a follow-up to this story it's just set in the same universe uh but it it had a good cast alexander Skarsgård and paul rudd and justin thoreau like people i i i like yeah uh But then as it came out, I just remember the view, the the reviews being absolutely atrocious. Like, like people, I mean, not just like middling, but like very, very bad. It's at a 2.2 on Letterboxd as of right now, which is pretty unfortunate. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. It's like, I, I, so that kind of killed all of my like desire to watch it because if it's one thing, if you know, it's sitting at a three or three and a half or something on Letterboxd or whatever, but when it's that low, like that many people hate it yeah. like, do i want to waste my time with it yeah <laughs> you
2: know? I, I, i'm the same way and uh and i'm and i'm one to put myself in some crappy movies and watch <laughs> but uh it, it looks very much like he's really leaning into the blade runner thing and mute yeah and uh it's it's set on earth i believe mm-hmm. yeah um I, I read that rockwell does make a little cameo in there yeah as a yeah or whatever but yeah but but none of these stories, even the graphic novel, I don't think have like a direct connection. To it's each just other. Set in the same, yeah, universe.
1: just in the same universe. Yeah. Which
2: he builds a great universe just in what we get from Moon.
0: So it makes sense to want to explore that. Um, I'm not sure what went wrong with Mute since I since I haven't seen it. But uh, I don't know. Maybe I'll get around to it one day.
1: Yeah, or uh, I'll I'll go watch it and report back on Cinema Shock. How about yeah, that? <laughs> sure, wanna.
0: <why not? laughs>
1: Uh, Roger Ebert gave the film 3.5 out of four stars, uh, saying moon is a superior example of that threatened genre, which I think uh, was what Justin was driving at hard science fiction. I think you actually use those exact words, Justin, uh, which is often uh, about the interface between humans and alien intelligence of one kind or another, including uh, digital. Uh, The movie is really all about ideas. It only seems to be about emotions. Uh, How real are our emotions anyway? How real are we? Someday I will die. This laptop I'm using is patient and can wait. Sounds like Roger Ebert had a... (laughs) Uh, an identity crisis or like a midlife crisis while writing this know, 2009
0: it was probably there when he was uh suffering from cancer uh, just about
3: oh yeah yeah so yeah. he was
0: so he would have been actually speaking via a computer because yeah. he, could, he could no longer speak i don't know i mean i'd have to look at the the time uh time frame on that but i feel like that's around that time that he was he was having some trouble
1: yeah bit of a dark place uh to begin yeah. with
0: <laughs> I mean, he he passed away in 2013 so mm. this would have been four years before that so yeah that he was probably like relying on a computer that's that probably kind of you know yeah. hit him pretty hard geez
1: yeah uh, so you know as as i mentioned before uh you know with these star trek adjacent episodes i always like to get into some of the Uh, The little uh, finer details, usually the theme and the aesthetics here, the themes that I were able to glean from this, are the ideas of, you know, loneliness and isolation. Uh, You know, I, I spoke uh, earlier about the moment where he's asking to shake hands, like such a small, simple thing. And I found myself just. Really pulling for him to get that handshake, <laughs> um, you know, and then the the nature of memories and uh, the idea of what is your identity and, uh, you know, the nature of memories uh, going through law enforcement training. They put us through this thing where uh, something happens usually in the classroom, something shocking, something jarring, and then they say, OK, everybody take out a piece of paper and write a report. And you realize once we get all the reports in from the, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50 students and you start putting them next to each other, they're all different. And it's like this happened just a few minutes ago. But, you know, for someone who's had memories implanted, uh, you know, how real are those memories Uh, to Sam? They are very real. In fact, they help solidify what he perceives to be as his identity um you guys have any thoughts about uh any of the themes presented here in moon
2: well i just think i mean like just basically what you're saying like just some of the dna aspects of the clone like if one sam uh masturbates another sam is that really like a gay thing or is it a you're just just like pleasuring yourself (laughs)
0: and this is a pg-rated show gary the is
1: thoughts it, and feelings of gary horn do not necessarily reflect the thoughts and feelings of the computer Research i wasn't Podcast. knocking it either way
2: <laughs> I mean, yeah, just, just posing just, a question it's just a question <laughs> it's a philosophical question right, let, let's take it down a notch what about you know how sometimes when you go poop you you know you don't realize how bad it stinks until you walk out, somebody else goes in, and then it like hits them hard because I think you're set, you're used to it, or it's not as effective. Does that happen between the two clones, or mm. does one clone walk into? Well, do you think that they both have the same poop smell? That's what I mean, I'm wondering. If That's they're all eating
1: roughly the same planned diet
2: with the same genetics, with the yeah. same yeah. genetics, yeah. And mm. would it? I mean, and not even even if it was exactly the same poop smell. Like I mean, it, well. Like would they recognize it as well? Uh, <laughs> you know, well, they walk I, you're in also after the other at, one. Like, bit. The older
1: Sam, his body's breaking down, so I imagine his. Oh, he's got might... the. He's got the. <laughs> 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 <laughs>
2: he's very ready. <laughs> he's eating mostly pudding. Yeah, no, you know it is. when you know <laughs> when you have like the co- a
1: cold or flu and you've got a bunch of medicine in you and you get those like medicine farts? like yeah, like <laughs> his his teeth are falling yeah. out,
2: dude. He gets into a soft stool. <laughs> uh, towards the la- the latter few years nice.
0: <laughs> but i mean i think that uh to your point todd i gary referenced the replicants in blade runner earlier yeah i think if, if if to me i think one of the biggest themes of this is the kind of uh the idea of identity like what what makes you you mm-hmm. and i think that's a big theme in blade runner i honestly if i had to give one criticism to moon uh, and this is nitpicky, but I think that it could have explored that a little bit more. Uh, I think that it could have dug into that a little bit more. I think the premise of this movie uh, opens up the door to really explore that. And yeah. it, he doesn't quite go as far as he could with that. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I think that's a, that's a it's a very interesting, very you know, philosophical theme that I think that's the kind of thing that you get in good, good sci-fi. You know, yeah. I think we've talked about this even on computer resume. Like science fiction, more so than just about any other genre, is a really good way to to discuss you know, real issues, whether they be you know, practical or philosophical, uh, in a way that's a little more palatable to people. I think. Yeah, Uh, then if you were then if it were just straight drama, you know, and I think some it will get into further viewing, I think here in a minute, uh, and I'll bring up some other examples, I think that would work. But I think that's what Moon is doing. It's it's using the sci fi tropes to dig a little deeper.
1: Yeah, I think it's easier to discuss. Uh, race issues when the skin colors are blue and green as opposed yeah. you know it, it's so um, I it, it's not you were gonna
2: say if one of the Sam Rockwells came out black or something <laughs> 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 yeah, speaking about sci fi It's general. the father of this one. <laughs> yeah, wait, what what a minute. What? I, but it, it's interesting to think about too like even you know like Samuel what? L. Rockwell <laughs> <laughs> uh you know ian malcolm talking about chaos theory like how how hard must it be for i don't know who's mixing everything like Gertie or whatever in there but <laughs> uh to get the exact same clone and I, I guess you just insert the memories but what about the other aspects of dna what about your soul like mm-hmm. all of these things what other could what if you know like does he always come out exactly the same or is you know the next sam all right And it's just really weird. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, that was, and I mean, this is a nitpicky detail, but looking at um, the character, Sam's got a tattoo. You know, did they have to painstakingly recreate that tattoo? Is it part of his genetics or did they go in and tattoo every single one of those clones?
0: Does the second one have a tattoo as well? I believe he
1: does. Oh, that doesn't make any sense. What if he does? I mean, he shouldn't.
0: Tattoos are not genetic. It's a, it's something that's. in Well, I
1: mean, if you're, if you're, but he's say, like with the robot,
0: well, like
2: Gertie have been there with a the freaking tattoo guy. Yeah, like so yeah, that but mean, that just seems a like, a, that, and, like that
0: seems <laughs> like an inappropriate use of government funds, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like they should but not be wasting. But if you think
2: about it, Sam's got those memories, and he got that tattoo when he was uh, nineteen. Uh, yeah, okay, and that's he's true. He's gonna be like, they, "Where's my tattoo?" Could, could they not have like just plucked that memory out? They well, it seems as though they could. They could choose certain things. Well, if they could easily just pick and choose what memories they're implanting, uh, then seems like you would just you know get real hardcore about just making him a really good worker. And, yeah, like, that, like the, it, sure. this whole thing, like yeah. not uh, worry about his freaking wife or whatever. You can't take away that's. Then you're taking away free will. Yeah, and it probably is motivation. I guess. No. But.
1: Mm. Well, I mean, the idea of free will in this instance he thinks he's going home so he thinks mm-hmm. he's there under contract when really he has no free will they they have no intention of bringing that That's him true
0: back. he did, and he didn't choose to be there
1: Exactly some <laughs> some
0: other sam who's back on earth mm-hmm. you know he he made the
2: decision Yeah they're kind uh, of jerks you know cuz they're they he, he wasn't man, his family wasn't thinking about the consequences of This like, is really making me want to go watch uh, Westworld yeah like, this oh is, man this is the same kind of stuff that they talk about on there yeah like you, you created life like you're yeah. you're and it you know these guys just wanted a paycheck sam yeah. and his wife uh they just wanted a new house on the beach and mm. uh he was like i don't care i'll just i'll give a sample and uh he make, make some baby sam's in a lab Where i don't know how they cloned him i just assume he i, I, I i'm I think sure I there just was a lab
0: to... i'm sure there was a lab involved um and <laughs> Jizz,
2: I believe. Yeah, I was gonna say. I just, I think maybe I just like bringing everything back to masturbation in some way. <laughs> like,
1: well, uh, you know, some of the aesthetics—it's uh, you know, only a this, step I...
2: away from an OnlyFans from
1: the
2: <laughs> <food>. <laughs> just Sam's railing oh, each it's other. It's only only Sam's,
1: Not only Sam's.
3: <laughs> so, like, uh,
2: Todd's like, I regret doing this episode. <laughs> He's like, they just keep jumping in with this stupid jump <laughs>
1: and let's make a note to edit that okay uh, Tom, uh make
2: sure to put a link to
0: onlysams.com. <laughs> in the
1: you got it I'm that's gonna, the title I'm of the episode to on my work computer right now. <laughs> a... uh what? but yeah some of the aesthetics that are presented here i feel uh actually kind of contribute and support some of the themes you know you've got uh the new versus old uh you know which are kind of you know when you break them down it kind of looks like dirty versus clean especially and you can see it really well when it's uh when they're playing ping pong mm. uh you've got the guy who's just super disheveled but he's he's a whiz at ping pong um but then you know some of the uh bareness and starkness of the base itself i kind of feel like that lends to us focusing on Sam and what's happening to him and, you know, sort of, uh, reflecting, uh, it kind of reflects the either or nature of the situation. You know, you've got these two, the only two real personalities in the base, uh, at odds and, you know, with everything being so sterile, um, around them, you know, it, it sort of focuses us to, uh, sort of forces us to focus on that. Uh, you know, we've got some of the, some of the connections to Star Trek. I know we talked a little bit off mic about uh, why are we covering this one? Uh, But I think, and we've kind of discussed it already, what really good science fiction does and what Star Trek is known for is been commenting on certain things. And while this is not necessarily something that is taking place on a planetary scale, uh, we are focused on these moral dilemmas. You know, it's not captain kirk or captain archer trying to decide the fate based on you know the prime directive and what's best for this uh this colony this planet that they've stumbled across this week but it's sam trying to figure out where he should go next with his life because uh, you know once he learns the truth it's it's open to him and the funny part about it is we don't really focus on the aftermath of what happens and i'm they'll probably touch on this in mute or in the, uh in maddie but uh we don't really get a sense that this ending the the idea of mining helium three coming to an end what kind of effect it's going to have on the planet and it's sort of that idea that's kind of presented in Watchmen of is that sacrifice is that for is that is that good or bad is it is that worth, is it worth that chunk of our soul to save our planet? Yes. Thoughts? <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, I mean, as far, go ahead, Gary. No, I, I, I wasn't really, I was just, I was going to say, you know, Captain Kirk in the same scenario would play the, I'm just throwing that out there. Like if you wanted to do that I, or uh, Riker, I, I I guarantee you that something exactly like this is an actual Riker scenario in the holodeck that he loves hanging out and room a room full of themselves and, <laughs> <laughs> and I can just uh, picture it they're all just giving each other the nod and like stepping over chairs yeah like bumping down <laughs> with each other
1: well you know it's uh, funny you mentioned Riker there is the episode where and of course it's a transporter accident but they get one Riker back and the transporter creates another Riker and leaves him wherever he's at and they find him years later and now you've got Will Riker and Thomas Riker and they are at odds. Mm. Um, there's been, you know, Kirk got a duplicate of himself made. You know, there was a good one and a bad one. And... The
0: mirror mirror, is that what it's
1: called? Well, no, there was actual uh transport uh again, another transporter accident. Yeah. But um, you know, it basically separated the good, the good and the evil Kirks.
0: I feel like they really need to work on the safety protocols for the transporters. <laughs> What, much that's, much what that's what was i'm it.
1: yeah
0: <laughs> uh, well yeah todd when you approached us about this you're like it's it i said why are we or gary actually said i think why are we talking about moon uh and you said well it's star trek adjacent and we kind of questioned what made it star trek adjacent yeah um i mean you can some of the themes that you're talking about aren't exclusive to star trek by right. any means right uh, so I think the I, I think I, the only thing that would really make this, in my mind, Star Trek adjacent is that those themes plus it's in space, <laughs> kind of thing. Sure. Uh, but to me, this feels like a lot of other sci-fi movies, mm. but not Star Trek because just because and that, and to, I think that's an aesthetic thing. I think it's a setting thing. Yeah, because this is much more on the. I don't even want to say 2001 because uh, 2001 is a little cleaner than this, but almost like that, that gritty like aliens, you know, that lived in future. Yeah. Uh, which is very much the opposite. I mean, they were actively working to make the, the opposite of the sterilized Star Trek universe where everything's hunky dory.
1: Yeah. I think you're absolutely right. There's a David Bowie right.
0: album that I just referenced. So. Yeah. Yeah. Nicely
1: <laughs> done. Nicely done. But yeah, I, I think you're right. I think uh, where I was focused on with moon being star trek adjacent i think more applies to newer trek where uh we've we've still got big casts you know you've got a ship full of people but i feel like the uh stories center more on an individual whereas in the tng era and certainly in the tos era it was kind of the freak of the week uh it's an ensemble cast but with new trek i feel like we get a lot more uh individual character focused episodes where it's especially you know with it being so serialized we get to see the ramifications of different adventures or mishaps whatever uh play out over time Mm -hmm. and i think seeing this with uh moon and seeing these things yeah aesthetically and you know setting wise they are worlds apart but I think at their core of discussing these uh types of moral dilemmas is where it stands right next to Star Trek, I think, in my mind.
2: I, I see I see where you're both coming from, but I, I think I'm probably leaning a little with Justin that just like you know, Blade Runner does this similar thing. And right. I think this feels mm-hmm. more like Blade Runner and yeah. uh and that kind of thing. And, and the, I, I don't know what Duncan Jones... Like I I know, he was apparently connected to or rumored for Star Trek Three, like in the J.J. Abrams verse or one of the Kelvin verse. Uh, He he also had I saw a tweet about the Next Generation, so I know he's watched it. But he seems more interested in those other kinds of movies too, uh, like uh, Ridley Scott kind of stuff. And he he talks about how like he loved Ridley Scott uh, and uh, I forget who else he referenced, but wanting to make more movies like they did because they're not doing it anymore and yeah uh, but i mean the other thing i thought about when i was trying to think about star trek in my head is that like i'm like this future is a lot different than star trek too because this is uh strictly you know i ain't trying to get all political here but this this future is like a very like capitalism run amuck kind of future oh yeah absolutely the idea. And but, so, yeah and star trek is the, like the, the other, opposite of the that. opposite of that yeah <laughs> yeah like their future is very hopeful and like everyone's working together and this is like no man we figured out a way to like, get this one dude to like use him up as much as we can star man. trek's a socialist uh future
1: almost yeah. yeah yeah that's been noted in uh many different uh many different places yeah, yeah for sure so fellas let me ask you this if um if we were to take moon to someone who's a big Star Trek fan and has never seen that, uh, never seen Moon, uh, is this essential viewing for that person? Is this something that, like I said, if they've never seen Moon, it's kind of like, hey, I know you like all the deep philosophical stuff about Star Trek. I think Moon's gonna be right up your alley. Is this essential viewing?
2: That's the weird question. I don't know if I'd call it like essential viewing, but I think they would like it. Yeah. I, I think anybody that watches Star Trek would probably appreciate this movie. Mm-hmm.
0: I think That's that it. it's it's not essential viewing because they're a Star Trek fan. Right. Uh, I don't think that I would recommend. I don't think that anything about this would make me go, man. I, my buddy Todd, who likes Star Trek, would really dig this movie because I know he likes Star Trek, and there are some stars in the sky. <laughs> <laughs> but, and, and, and Sam Rockwell do be
2: trekking across the moon here and there, <laughs> getting up with the harvesters. But I
0: I do think it is essential viewing if you're just into sci-fi in general because uh, we we said this at the beginning of the episode but this is one of the best sci-fi movies uh you know of at least the last several decades if not of all time so uh that makes it essential viewing for a sci-fi fan now are all sci-fi fans star trek fans probably not yeah <laughs> uh you know and not all star trek fans care about other Realms of sci fi, so that's hard to say, but I I'd say, say if all, not all Star
2: Trek fans are fans of all Star Trek. That's so. very true. <laughs> yeah, that's very true.
0: They're better, they're not as bad as Star Wars fans, though. To be honest, <laughs>
1: that's yeah, I think that's the question to ask is which fans are worse, Star Trek fans or Star Wars fans? I'm gonna say Star
2: Wars fans. Mm. I'm, gonna, uh, I'm gonna say Star Wars fans. I, I don't know of any great examples right off the top of my head, I'm sure it exists of like Trek fans like really going in on actors to like yeah. try to destroy them like if like if like, like, if, star star wars
0: a, wars like fans, if a black character fair. gets cast in star trek they're not sending them death threats yeah you know? yeah that's uh, true yeah so i would say star <laughs> wars fans are worse yeah
2: that's fair that's and i'm fair. a
0: star wars fan but I, luckily i'm not one of those star wars fans
2: yeah just hopefully at least the star trek fans keep the uh they, at least hopefully the underlying Uh, philosophy of star trek you know like we're all better together yeah yeah
1: exactly well uh guys again thank you so much for coming on and carving out the time to watch the movie and put some thoughts together and come and talk with me about it any final thoughts about moon that you uh want to share before we get before we start wrapping this up uh
2: i just you know i don't want to sound like i'm crapping on the idea of it being connected to star trek i can certainly see it but i think it's a lot of this is the framework of what just makes sci fi cool in the first place. So mm. it's just, uh, it's, it's got some. I think if you like Star Trek, you will like Moon. And so it, it just, uh, you'll appreciate that it's really solid sci fi.
1: Smart. Yeah. It's very smart science fiction for sure. Yeah. Awesome. I mean, it,
0: I, I, I love this movie. So, I'm, uh, and I've not seen it in. Gosh, probably since we did that episode on the old, old podcast. Nice. Uh, so I was excited to watch it again, uh, even though it did uh, temporarily interrupt my spooky season <laughs> horror movie viewing. Uh, so I'm a little thrown off now. I already had to watch Crime Wave <laughs> this week.
2: I'm joining the Film Trace guys again on their show, and I'm recording this week, and I got to watch. I So now this week, my spooky season is thrown off with like this movie and Harold and Maude. Oh, wow! Ah, ah,
0: nice. Wow, <laughs> that's harold. quite a double
2: feature that's fun what a, what
0: a, harold and maude wow, i don't know a, where it
2: came from but they told me that's what i'm watching
0: all right well that's one of like the og cult films like the original like real cult films so uh, that's uh probably on my cinema shock roulette list if i were to
2: guess it seems like one i would have put on there nice nice it's well, uh, it's interesting but at least this one, this one does get pretty spooky at times. I will give Mood that. Like, there's, there's moments of it that are eerie, eerie. It, yeah. Like it yeah. hits. It's just, yeah, yeah, the, yeah. it's, it's all the loneliness and the, you know, mm-hmm. that yeah, sort of thing. We really
0: should have done uh, for. Uh, well, I know this this episode will be out in November. I think, right? I believe uh, so. Yeah. So we're, we won't technically be spooky season anymore. But maybe for next year on Spooky Season, we do a Star Trek adjacent. Event Horizon
2: episode. Ooh, that would be funny. You know, another one I thought of when we were talking about movies. Which is,
0: again, not
2: Star Trek adjacent, but have it is. <laughs> have we done the movies like this movie? I don't even know where we're at.
1: Uh, I, that's coming up next. Yeah.
2: Okay. Well, then I'll save it for that. Just,
1: oh, well, I'll, I'll just another. go right into it. Uh, so one of the things that we do on Cinema Shock is when we talk about a movie, we also like to give our thoughts on what would make a good double feature. So for further viewing, fellas, what do you? what would you pair with Moon?
2: I got it. Sunshine. Have you seen Sunshine? Yeah, Danny Danny Boyle. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. That would be fun with this one, I think.
0: Yeah, it would. Nice. Justin, what do you got? Um, The ones that I thought of, I mean, uh, I keep thinking of Blade Runner now because we've talked about it so much, but the first one I thought of. Was Solaris the Steven Soderbergh version? Yeah, uh, produced by James Cameron. Go listen to our series on James Cameron over on Cinema Shock. Yeah. Uh, we actually talk about Solaris very briefly in that, but uh, it came out a few years before this. But it's another like uh, philosophical science fiction movie, although it, it shares its DNA with I think 2001: A Space Odyssey a lot more than it does something like Blade Runner. Uh, at least visually, it's and it's a little slower moving like mm-hmm. that, you know. Uh, The other one I thought of was uh, kind of in that same vein, actually, uh, like a sci-fi that really makes you think. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's Christopher Nolan's Interstellar.
2: Nice. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's solid.
0: Uh, those are the ones I thought of. I think that they just kind of, those two actually, Solaris and Interstellar would actually make a very good double feature too. Yeah, <laughs> you can absolutely. always throw 2001 A Space Odyssey in here because you could throw 2001 A Space Odyssey as a double feature for literally every sci-fi movie that's been made since then.
1: Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> and you could be like, hey,
0: this is the, our, our theme today is uh, we're going to show you a sci-fi movie, then we're going to show you the one that inspired it. Yeah, always <laughs> 2001 A Space Odyssey. <laughs> You could do
2: a remake of Wrath of Khan and it'd be sort of like this movie, just like Khan, yeah. like just being on the just stranded out in the middle yeah. of nowhere. Oh, for sure.
1: <laughs> well, uh, for my further viewing, I think I'm going to stick with the idea of the independent movie, uh, smart science fiction. And Gary's going to hate it. But Primer, uh, I, I love a good time travel movie. And Primer's,
0: Primer's one that Gary liked.
1: Oh, is I- that one you like, Gary? I thought they did as good as you could do, like yeah. trying to keep
2: <laughs> up with all the crap that they did. I actually it yeah. came to mind earlier, uh, not to jump ahead with, with what you're saying, Todd, but it came to mind earlier. I almost brought it up when Justin was talking about sometimes sci-fi could be too heady. Mm. Primer for some reason it, it walks a fine line. It does, yeah. But it, it, it like, almost crosses over that line.
0: Yeah. But uh,
1: I mean, and it's early on, like the I don't think the credits are done rolling yet, and they are already like hip deep in some next level techno babble, And if you can hang on, if you can hang on through that, it's very you're like you're in for a wild ride. <laughs> you very
0: much have to be paying attention, but they, they explain it enough to where you understand what's happening with it. And even if you get lost for a moment, you kind of like get right back on track with that one. Right. Uh, you know, like it, because they do keep coming around to how this time travel works. And yeah, it's, it's a really cool movie. Yeah. Oh Arrival. How about Arrival? That's a really good one. The Charlie Sheen movie? Yeah, no. yeah. <laughs> That's actually I actually like that movie too. <laughs> I rented it a lot when I was a teenager.
1: Folks, next week we will be joined once again by US Army veteran and stand-up comedian Patrick Cunningham for the beginning of our next step in the Star Trek chronology with Star Trek Short Treks Season 2 Episode 1 Q&A. And season one, episode three, the brightest star, which of course are available exclusively on Paramount Plus. Fellas, let's hit him with uh, the promotions and the plugs. What do you got? Gary.
2: I uh I'm at this is Gary Horn. You should you should <laughs> follow me there. And if you like professional wrestling, I don't know why you're listening to this podcast, but uh, <laughs> you can follow the NWA, the National Wrestling Alliance at NWA. Justin, I, how
1: about you? Aren't you involved with the podcast or something like that?
2: Yeah, I am uh, one of the hosts of the
0: Cinema Shock podcast with these two fellows. I didn't uh, forget it. I was just letting you take that. One. Thanks. I appreciate it because that's <laughs> my that's my only job. I don't have another podcast. I do Cinema Shock. Uh that takes up plenty of my time. Yes, yes. <laughs> so uh Cinema Shock though, for, I mean we've we've plugged it here on the show before, so longtime listeners will have heard and I'm sure Todd uh, probably mentions it now and then on the on the show. But for those who don't know, it is the three of us talking about a movie, a single movie every episode, uh very in depth on the the creation of the film, a version of kind of what Todd did, did on this episode. Uh we very rarely.
1: Much...
0: <laughs> well
2: this Justin well, this goes is...
1: much, much deeper than Yeah, I do. well that's
2: why our episodes are three hours long and yours are not. <laughs> I saw but... we, we have our Discord and I saw like somebody today said uh they were like somebody put something in the trailers or something about the movie and Kurt said uh I, I'm sorry, I don't have time for movies. I have three hours of cinema shock to listen to. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, so uh, we we
0: usually do it as part of a series. Uh, usually, either. Often, most often on the career of like a single director. Sometimes we'll do other themes and things like that, but uh, we recently started the uh, a series on Sam Raimi. So we started with The Evil Dead, and we're going to be going through uh, several Sam Raimi movies in chronology. So we kind of tell the director's story and tell the story of the uh, the making of the film all at the same time, and it's a lot of fun. Oh, it's at Cinemashock.net. Uh, it's also on you know all the all the podcast things, Apple Podcasts, Google. Spotify, Stitcher, uh, Overcast, Player FM, iHeartRadio. It's uh, it's a it Pandora uh, where else where else can you <laughs> listen to? where else are people listen wherever
2: there are podcasts for <laughs>
0: wherever where are you listening to us talk right now you <laughs> just look for the there's a little button that looks like a magnifying glass <laughs> click on that and then right in of a shock you'll find us uh you can find me personally at justin underscore bishop that's on twitter and instagram i don't tweet very much though um so really instagram and letterboxd are probably your best bets for following me uh the podcast is also on instagram and letterboxd and facebook and all that
1: and i am at mr todd a davis on all of the socials thank you so much for listening from all of us at the computer resume podcast and until next time
2: may the wigs of liberty never lose a feather and be excellent to each other
1: Be me up johnny rate, review, and share on all your favorite platforms. Feel free to send us your subspace transmissions to ComputerResumePodcasts at gmail.com or at Computer Resume on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. The Computer Resume Podcast was created and produced by Mr. Todd A. Davis. Our logo was designed by Will Martin and Justin Bishop. The opening theme was produced by Justin Bishop. And our outro music was provided with permission by Droneode. Additional music was provided by Mr. Todd A. Davis and Gary Horn. And the voice of Computer Resume podcast and executive producer, me, Kat Davis. Hashtag LLAP. We'll see you next time a star trek we're doing (laughs) star trek
2: stuff in space we probably got some phasers and shuttle pods and we're gonna find a brand new race how's that for a slice of fried gold